Pastor Xavier Reese with an appeal to the hard-hearted. You can be here with your friend and God is nailing you. He's telling you you need to repent. You need to be forgiven. You need to turn your life around. And he's speaking directly to you and your friend next to you is, is, is wondering when I'm going to shut up so we can get out of here. God deals specifically with people. What's, what, what's the difference? The heart. Are you open or are you closed? That's the problem. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Many products claim they can fix something and make it as good as new. However, the Bible claims when one becomes born again, he's made better than new. So is there this kind of hope after all for the seemingly hopeless? Let's find out as we join Pastor Xavier for today's Simple Truths study, Saul, a Stone in the Rough. Have you ever known someone who was violently opposed Christianity? And in their pursuit to destroy all associated with Christianity, then in turn became some of the most passionate Christians for the work of Christ. It happens. God turns people around, those that we think would never get saved. Such was the case with the Apostle Paul in his passion to destroy Christianity. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, you know, Hebrew of Hebrews, zeal, he persecuted the church, he was taught at the feet of Gamaliel, he was a Roman citizen, schooled in both the Greek and the Hebrew culture, an incredible man. He became the most important person in the New Testament apart from Jesus Christ. He occupies more than half of the book of Acts, from chapter 13 to 28, he appears in chapter 9 and 11 also. And he wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books. 14, if in fact he wrote Hebrews, which I believe he did. Quite a man, but he began as the enemy of Christianity. <laughs> you see? And that's the key. A stone in the rough. The result of Paul's life transforming experience here on the road to Damascus is marked by three things. First of all, his conversion. Verse 1 through 9. Secondly, the commission of Saul, verse 10 through 19. And then thirdly, the consecration of Saul, verse 20 through 31. The conversion of Saul, this is foundational. You have this in verse 1 through 9. Notice in verse 1 and 2, the mission of Saul to Damascus is given to us. The present attitude of Saul was consistent with his past. Saul was still breathing out threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. The word threats is in the singular in the Greek, not plural. His past hatred of the Christians was consistent, fervent. You can't stop people like this who hate Christianity. We have a lot of evidence of that today in the United States and around the world. More than ever before, we're fully aware of this. Saul was presently known to have been there when Stephen was stoned. The people laid his, their clothes at his feet. He was a young man then. And he consented the death of Stephen in Acts 7, 58 and 8, 1. Saul made havoc of the church, we're told, in Acts 8, 3. Entering from house to house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Saul had threatened and murdered believers besides Stephen. It's important. He was merely the first in rank for the beginning of persecution. He was the first in line. The threats and murder against Christianity by Saul in the past had become the very fuel that drew his breath from. In other words, he fed off this stuff. 
The word breathing here in the text means literally what enabled him to continue his persecution. As if it was oxygen. He was feeding off of it. It appears only this one time. And, and, and if you've lived for any length of time, you know how, how hatred and bitterness can drive you. You feed off of it. This was Saul. In fact, Paul told Agrippa in Acts 26.10, And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. They were put to death. That means besides Stephen. He gave his consent. Now notice his authority was from the Sanhedrin. In verse, the end of verse 1 and in 2, uh, he received a letter from the high priest around 35 AD again. In 36, Jonathan was the son of Annas, priest. In 37, Theophilus was. So uh, without doubt, probably about 35 here. Now Saul needed a legal authority. He couldn't just go for the synagogues of Damascus. Rome had upheld the authority of the Sanhedrin by the treaty that it had made with the Hasmoneans. And Rome gave the Jews the right to extradite other parts of the empire. In fact, uh, the book of Maccabees gives us an interesting uh, quote. He says, If any pestilent man have fled to you from their own country, meaning Judea, hand them over to Simon the priest so that he may punish them according to their law. Maccabees 15.21. And you also see that in Acts 22.5 that Paul tells us. So they had this authority. Saul was a bounty hunter. That's what he was. Damascus, as you know, is considered to be the oldest city in the world. The city has been in existence since Abraham's time, about 200 miles by road. Uh, Genesis 14, 15, 15, 2, and many other passages. It's recorded. The city became the capital of the powerful Armenian kingdom and uh, made it part of Arabia. King Aretas became a Roman vassal. Um, there was some wars going on between him and, and Rome at that time. Now, notice his purpose was to return Christians who had fled to Jerusalem under the persecution. We're told that uh, in the rest of verse 2 there. That if he found any who were of the way, this term is identification for those who were born again and were following the words of Jesus according to their life. That's what they were called before they were called Christians. We have the church on the way in Van Nuys. That, that's where they get their name, okay? They weren't called Christians until Antioch in Acts chapter 11. That's the first time they were called Christians. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6, right? He's the way to heaven. He's the way to salvation. He's just the way. The only way. Now, the conversion of Saul took place near Damascus, we're told here in verse 3 to 7. We'll give him the details. In verse 3, Saul was near Damascus when suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, very specifically detailed. Luke tells us suddenly, emphasizing unexpectedly. Paul told Agrippa all fell to the ground in Acts twenty six fourteen. No contradiction. Paul is focusing on his conversion. Luke is focusing on the conversion of Saul here. And when Paul is telling Agrippa, he's telling the overall picture what took place. No contradiction. Saul fell to the ground. And he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The confident, powerful persecutor of Christianity, notice here, was on the ground humbled. Instant change. The question is, why are you persecuting me? This was an accusation by Jesus. The persecuting believers of, by Paul was a reality. He was doing it to Jesus. Jesus identifies himself here with his church, with those who are suffering for him. And so Saul, notice in verse 5, inquires regarding 
the identity of the voice. He says, who are you, Lord? Now, some take this Lord kurios to mean simply, real politely, sir, for a superior, but the context is very, very, very evident. This is nonsense. This is no human encounter, and Paul knows it. He's been around. The Lord answered Saul emphatically on two things. Listen carefully. Then the Lord said, I am Jesus emphatically. Whom you, and then it says literally, keep persecuting. Both are emphatic. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. He gives a beautiful picture here. Paul, by his own words, says he saw Jesus, by the way. 1 Corinthians 9, 1, 15, 8, and Galatians 1, 16. Paul told Barnabas he saw the Lord and he spoke to him down in verse 27 of this chapter. Saul had been fighting against Jesus for some time to his own hurt. Like an ox that refuses to submit to the plow, he kicks back and they put a spike there and and his hoof hits it and it hurts him. So he learns not to kick. Well, Paul the Apostle was rebelling against the Lord for a long time. And he was adding to his own hurt. And any person who God is pursuing and God wills that everybody be saved, they are fighting against their own good. They're adding to their own hurt. So there had been some time that God was dealing with Saul here. Notice in verse 6, Saul surrendered his life to Jesus then. He was trembling and astonished, fearful, confounded. The response of a servant comes from him. Lord, what would you have me to do? He acknowledged Jesus as Lord here. The first words out of his mouth. What would you have me to do? This is a servant's answer. No other. He knew exactly who was before him. He was told to go to the city to wait there till he was told, listen, what he must do. He's the Lord. We're the servants. Instantly. You understand? Sometimes we think that Jesus is our errand boy. Or he's a glorified Santa Claus. Look at verse 7. Saul alone understood the voice. The men stood speechless, mute, unable to speak because the terror astounded. They could not explain it because as they all were on the ground. Acts 26.14 told us. This is the temple guards. These are men who are used to uh, heavy things and and, and crowds and, and everything. And all of a sudden no one's around. They're on the ground. Makes you think, doesn't it? Notice the men were hearing a voice but seeing no one. Verse 4 uses the word phony for heard, meaning an intelligible voice. While verse 7 uses the word akuo for hearing, meaning an unintelligible voice by the parallel passage of Acts 22.9. In other words, here's the distinction. I, you don't know Spanish? I speak Spanish. You hear a sound, but you don't understand it. In other words, Paul is the only one that understood it. You can be here with your friend And God is nailing you. He's telling you you need to repent. You need to be forgiven. You need to turn your life around. And he's speaking directly to you. And your friend next to you is is, is wondering when I'm going to shut up so we can get out of here. God deals specifically with people. What's, What's the difference? The heart. Are you open or are you closed? That's the problem. Notice the word seen. It means to be a spectator. Viewing attentively. To discern but saw nothing. We get our word theater from it. Verse 8 and 9. Notice we get the condition of Saul. At Damascus. In verse 8 he was blind. He arose from the ground. 
He once was spiritually blind, though he could see physically. He now was able to see spiritually, but he couldn't see physically. Spiritual sight is always better than physical sight. In fact, physical sight hinders us. I mean, there's a good side about it, don't get me wrong. <laughs> you got to be careful, because they can stumble you, get you in trouble. Notice he was led by the hand as a little child. He came in pride as a powerful member of the Sanhedrin. He was going now in humility as a member of the family of God. He was not converted against his will, by the way, but by the submission of his will. For Paul told Agrippa, listen very carefully, Acts 26, 19, I was not disobedient to the vision. Paul was not compelled. He was not a robot. If salvation is irresistible, you can't fight against it. If you cannot fight against it, then every unconverted person can charge God with their damnation, having not given them an opportunity to repent. If God chose the few to go to heaven, and while having the chance for all to go, rejected the majority to go to hell, and then turns around and holds them responsible, God cannot be just. He cannot be good. Salvation is a free will. It is not forced upon you. You will not see a group of people in heaven all ticked off. You get up there, what's up guys? Oh man, I want to go to hell and God forced to come to heaven. But if you get to hell, you will find a lot of, every person saying, you know, I could have gone to heaven, but I chose to go to hell. You understand? You can't fall God for your lostness. It's your own doing. Verse 9. He was without food and water for three days. Now he had done this often as a Pharisee throughout his religious life, sense of self-righteousness. But he was now doing it with a sense of hearing God's voice. He was broken. The French reformer, Theodore Biza, made a famous retort to the King Henry of Navarre. Sire, it is truly the lot of the church of God for which I speak to endure blows that, and, that do not strike them. But may it please you to remember that it is an anvil which has worn out many hammers. God wins. No one can win against him. And yet he will not force you to go to heaven. Some of the most uh, harmful and hateful religious people that oppose Christianity have at times become the most committed vessels for God. I think of John Newton, the slave trader, turned around. Amazing grace. I think our contemporary, Josh McDowell, who began to disprove Christianity in college and then was struck that Jesus was who he said he was <laughs> and has become an incredible instrument for youth and apologetics. Paul put it this way, 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptations that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul is a pattern of those that God can save. The evidence of one's conversion is never to be nebulous, but a very clear understanding of the new birth. Understanding one's own lost condition as you hear the gospel that you're a sinner under the wrath of God. Understanding one's own decision to repent from that life of sin, not compelled. Understand that all of your sins will be forgiven and you will be a new creature. A child of God by grace through faith. Understand that only the gospel can provide this salvation to any man or any woman. 
And that's why Paul says to the Romans in Romans 1, 18, 17, 16 and 17, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first to the Gentile. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. The just shall live by faith, quoting Habakkuk 2, 4. Only the gospel, nothing else. The condition of a person's attitude and their perspective at and after conversion is one of a servant of God. One of a servant to Jesus. Not the reverse. One is to have a sober mind about oneself, walking in humility after their masters. Jesus' example, Philippians 2, 5 through 11, being God, he didn't think it robbery to be equal with God, but he took on the form of a servant. And he was obedient to the death of the cross. That's why a name has been given to him, highly exalted above every other name. He's my example. One is to yield, to be led of God. Through his word, through his Holy Spirit. Evidence that I'm walking in the spirit, Ephesians 5.18. I still have the old man. I can still be funky. I can be rude. I need to work against that. I need to yield to the spirit of God. Want us to be ever conscious that we are to serve one another. Galatians 5.13 Lord, what would you have me to do? This was a conversion of Saul. Amazing miracle. Notice next we have the commission of Saul. Verse 10 through 19. 10 through 14, the Lord sent Ananias to Saul. His prompt response to the vision demonstrates that he was a true servant of God in verse 10. Ananias was said to be a disciple meaning a learner, a pupil. It appears 13 times in the book of Acts. The name Ananias means Yahweh has graciously given. Ananias is also said to be a resident of Damascus. Notice that in verse 10. The implication that the church had scattered through this persecution way up north. Incredible. Paul told the Jerusalem crowd in Acts 22, 12, this regarding Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having good testimony with all the Jews who dwell in Damascus. A godly Jew. All the first members of the church were Jewish. They were all Jews. But they had a hard time with the Gentiles, so it soon became majority Gentile. Notice Ananias heard his name. And received the vision from Jesus in verse 10 still. The word vision is the insight granted to a man or a woman by God. While you're awake, not while you're asleep. That's a dream. And God communicates to him. This is the first time this word appears. It'll appear 11 times in the book of Acts. Notice the prompt response of Ananias. Reveal his servant attitude. Here I am, Lord. We start like that. The problem is to continue like this. Here I am, Lord. He was to go to the street called Straight. Notice that in verse 11. An important road. The length of the city, east to west, from gate to gate. It was to inquire at the house of Judas. Very specific detail. And search for a man called Saul of Tarsus. When he said that name, he probably just freaked out. Tarsus, as you know, is the capital of Cilicia. With about half... A million people in. One of the greatest universities which Paul attended there. Learning, philosophy, everything else. Athens, Alexandria were the other two places. Notice that he says he would find Saul praying. Not merely saying prayers. 
He had done that for years. But now he's really praying. In fact, the word behold indicates something surprising and unexpectedly. He's hearing about this man. He knows this man. He's walking in. He expects to see some guy ready to jump on him. He walks in. He's broken. He's praying to God. He can't see. What a change. Wow. Look at verse 12. Jesus then told Ananias the purpose of his errand. God had given to Saul a vision also, revealing a man named Ananias coming to him to put his hands on him. Wow. Not an apostle. He didn't call John, Peter. He sent a Christian. Listen, listen. We're all in the family of God. God can use you if you want to be used. Don't think that God uses only super spiritual people or only superstars. Listen, we're all supposed to be super spiritual. You understand? We're all to walk in the spirit, not in the flesh. God can use you if you yield. But if you always wish it was two of somebody else instead of you, then that's no good. God told Saul the purpose so that he might receive his sight. God only confirms through another what he has already revealed to a person. It is never news. So God will tell you first, and then someone may confirm what God has told you. But it's never news. When somebody comes and says, you know, God told me that I'm supposed to marry you. Well, if God has spoken to you about it, say amen. But if it's news, tell him to go take a walk. You understand? God knows where you live. He'll talk to you first. This runs a lot in Pentecostal circles. And people make dumb decisions based on someone says, Thus saith the Lord. Be careful. Notice in verse 13 and 14, his prompt objection was understandable. Ananias thought he would give Jesus some information, as you and I usually do, particularly to Paul's past here, his persecution. Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man and how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. The ruthlessness of Saul was a fact. The word harm means bad in nature, injurious and destruction. The ones targeted were the saints, hagios, those set apart, those who believe in Jesus. We get our word holy, sanctified, sanctification, set apart. And notice Ananias thought he was to give Jesus a little more information, just in case, maybe, maybe he would change his mind about sending him. And here he has a story from the priest, uh, the chief priest, to bind all who are called in your name. So the, he's, this guy's bad news in the past, and he's bad news right now in the present, Lord. All were aware of his commission from the Sanhedrin. All the saints were terrified who call in the name of the Lord, including Ananias. He didn't want to go. We can understand it. But again, God knows everything. I've got to make sure God is talking to me. I've got to make sure that he is the one that's directing me by the word of God. So I don't get taken into rabbit trails. Notice the Lord then reveals to Ananias the call of Saul in verse 15 and 16. In 15, Saul was chosen as a vessel of God. This is the sovereign choosing of God, sovereignty, by his will, for his purposes. Go, he is a chosen vessel of mine. In fact, Paul confirms this in Galatians 1.15, separated me from my mother's womb, call me through grace. Jesus commissioned Paul. Not Ananias. 
Galatians 1 is very clear. He did not receive his gospel from man, but directly from Jesus Christ. He's the one that commissioned him. Pastor Xavier Reese and the one and only call to salvation. And there's much more to come next time. But if you won't be able to participate in our next broadcast, you can always pick up a copy of the complete unedited study. And the title to ask for is Saul, A Stone in the Rough. It's available on CD for just $4. And make sure you pass on this study to someone in your church or Bible study. Now, once again, the title to ask for is Saul, A Stone in the Rough, or simply mention today's date. And you can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. Are you sold out to God? Find out when you join Pastor Xavier Reese for the next edition of Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 